You may open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. For those that are hearing this sermon in other places at other times, let it be known by you that we would prefer to consider the Lord Jesus Christ in some aspects of His religion more closely related to Him and His life and death and intercessory life for us than the subject that is before us. However, since it's in the Scriptures, and it is in the Scriptures with several chapters, we will preach it and try to teach it and apply it as well as we are able. We have been through 30 verses beginning at Romans 14.1 and extending down through 15.7. 30 verses dealing with the subject of Christian liberty. Let me just briefly show you where we've been in those 30 verses. In the first four, Paul gave a summary judgment against condemning others for what they do in matters of Christian liberty. So he says in verse 3, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. And he says in verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So the first argument or the first point of these 30 verses is in the first four that Paul gives a summary condemning us judging one another or making anything an issue that is a matter of Christian liberty. I love the fact that what is important is in the last part of verse 3, for God hath received him, because God receives men on a totally different ground than what you think. You may only receive men that agree with you on certain things, but God receives men based on the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And in verse 4, the second half of the verse, Yea, he shall be holden up, no matter what you may say against a person, because of matters of liberty, God will hold him up, and God is able to make him stand. That is so comforting right off the bat. But in those first four verses is a summary condemnation of judging others. In verses 5 through 9, Honest men perform any liberty that they have to God. It is to the Lord that we live. It is to the Lord that we die. Whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. And whether we eat or we don't eat, whether we keep a day or we don't do it, we keep it to the Lord. And we should be thinking that about others, and we should be making sure of that ourselves, that we do it as unto the Lord. Verses 10 through 13 are about the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will give an account for how we behaved in matters of Christian liberty. In verses 14 through 16, charity demands the strong compromise for the weak, for the strong to compromise. They're to compromise for the sake of the weak because that is what charity calls them to do. It says in the last part of verse 15, Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. That is not behaving charitably. In verses 17 through 19, God approves a righteous, peaceful, and happy church. And that is what we want to have. Because the kingdom of God, according to verse 17, is not meat and drink. It's not matters of liberty. It's not these things that are important to so many. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you know why the apostle chose the word righteousness to stick it into that description right there and set it in opposition to matters of liberty? Because matters of liberty are not a measure of righteousness. God doesn't care 
what you do with them. That's why he sticks in righteousness and sets it in opposition to meat and drink. The Jews thought they were being righteous by not eating meat offered to idols. The Jews thought they were being righteous by not eating pork. The Jews thought they were being righteous by keeping the great day of atonement that had been kept for 1,500 years, but that wasn't righteousness in the sight of God, though they had a scriptural basis for it because they were misusing the scriptures and they were weak in the matter. They should have been looking to Christ as the fulfillment of the day of atonement. Why in the world would you want a day of atonement when you've got the Lord's Supper? Why in the world would you care about unclean or clean meats when those ceremonial commandments were nailed to the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ? But I want you to love that 17th verse. I've told you if there's a verse in this chapter you ought to memorize, it'd be the 17th. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, true righteousness, as defined by God, and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. True spiritual happiness and unity by the Holy Ghost. Then, in verses 20 through 23, the strong can destroy and even damn the weak if they do not protect their consciences. And so, protecting the consciences of others is very important to us. Then we come to chapter 15. In the first four verses, it is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ that we ought to follow Because he did not please himself, but what he did was for the benefit of others. And we ought to do the same. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Then the final argument, the eighth from these 30 verses, is verses 5 and 6 through 7 of chapter 15. God cannot be rightly glorified without a like-minded church worshiping him with one mind and one mouth. And so we have all of that, 30 verses, to teach us that these little things that bother people are not important and should be left aside and compromised and sacrificed and given up for the benefit of their souls that they might be edified. I'm going to expand what I taught this church seven and a half years ago on May 28th, 2006, about Christian liberty. Because the Lord has led us to this subject with verse 30 verses here in Romans chapters 14 and 15. And because we have had families leave us in those last seven years, we have had families visit us and visit us no more in the last seven and a half years because of these little petty, pet peeves, personal opinions, and preferences that they make more important than the doctrine of baptism, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King James Bible, and anything else we stand for. Because they measure religion by a witch hunt. They want to go find a witch behind the bush. And the bush is something, you know, like whether you ride a motorcycle or not, or whether you smoke a cigar after supper or not. If you don't like smoking a cigar after supper, I commend you. Either do I. But if you like smoking a cigar after supper, enjoy it. And to the Lord, enjoy your cigar. 
If anyone here thinks that they can prove that it is a sin for a man to smoke a cigar after supper, I would love to see their Bible study on the subject that exhaustively shows us the multitude of scriptures that you must have in order to call it a sin. The only one I have ever heard in my entire life, and I have heard a few sermons in my time, is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost doesn't like cigar smoke. But the Holy Ghost doesn't like half the stuff you feed your family either. Because most of it's disgusting, ladies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is not about cigar smoke. It's about the moral issue of a man taking his body and joining it to a prostitute. It is fornication under consideration there. And yet I say to you, 99% of the Baptists that ever use 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 don't even know what the verse means. It's about a, it's a, it's about moral depravity. It's about moral corruption with the Holy Ghost inside your body. It's not about your bodily exercise. It's not about your diet. It's not about what you drink. It's not about what you smoke after supper if you like to sit on the deck and smoke a cigar. Whoa! I just started off with a hard one. A hard one. Why? Because fundamentalists have brainwashed us into thinking that the kingdom of God is we don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with those that do. Anybody got an online Bible? Does anybody have an app on their cell phone right now that they could look that up and help me find what book of the Bible that's in? We don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those that do. Can somebody help me? It's not in the Bible. Jesus couldn't care less. Do you know what Jesus would say if you ever heard something like that? Jesus would say, it is not what goes into a man that defiles a man. Because whatever goes into a man comes out of the man and goes into the draft. It is what comes out of a man that defiles a man. And that is where we stand in our religion. And though we may be despised by 99% or 98% of other Baptists, we don't really care because all that we do care about is the Bible. I personally have an opinion about cigar smoke, but it doesn't matter what my personal opinion is or your personal opinion. If a man wants to do that, he's at complete liberty to do it because the Bible doesn't care. God doesn't care. I've preached this before. I'm preaching it again under duress. The duress of God's Word, which I happily submit to, the duress of weak Christians, which are always going to exist. There's the 30 verses that we've covered. Look at that first verse. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. We will receive members that don't like to smoke cigars. Because you've received me. We will receive members, but we're not going to have doubtful disputations about it. We're not going to argue about tobacco in this church because we don't really care because guess what? God doesn't care. Remember that the Jews had more of a Bible basis for what they didn't want to eat than the Bible basis that you think you have, which you don't have at all, against cigar smoke. They had many chapters in the Old Testament about unclean meats, and they had many warnings in the whole Bible against idolatry. This has been taught before, but let's go through it again. This first verse says, we're not going to have doubtful disputations in this church. God giving me strength, 
and God keeping me as your pastor, we're not going to have doubtful disputations in this church. I will be more aggressive in the future because of what I'm preaching today and in the days to follow against anyone that wants to argue, wants to crusade, wants to promote any of their little ideas. I don't care what source they got them from. I don't care what local university that thinks it's the the citadel of orthodoxy for Christianity. I don't care what little rhymes or poems they have. We're not going to put up with it. If you want to go and fuss about such ridiculous little things, it proves you don't want to be a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Go somewhere else because most churches don't care about the kingdom of Jesus Christ either. We, we do care. Therefore, dear Jesus, I do adore thee and will ever pray thee. That's more important to us than these ridiculous little things. You've heard the little rhyme. You've heard 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 abused so many times, but it doesn't matter to us. Lord, help us. Christian liberty is taught in the Bible to promote peace in churches by members allowing each other liberty so that there are no divisions, there's no despising one another, and there is no judging one another in things the Bible has not condemned. And we want to remember that. The 22nd verse of this chapter says, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. This is something you can do before God. If you have faith in enjoying a cigar after your evening meal out on your deck, you sit up there on that deck and consider the sinking sun, the food that you've just had, and that nasty smoke that's entering your mouth. I'm only saying that because we all have different opinions. And we're just, you know, every time you chuckle, you, you relieve tension and pressure in my boiler. Because it should all be a laughing matter to us in these things that don't matter. It, it, it honestly should be. Amen. And you should honestly be saying to me, is there somebody that would get worried about a person enjoying a cigar after the evening meal? Or, or any other time of day. I don't care if he wants it for breakfast. Because the Lord didn't say, after the sun shall set, thou mayest enjoy my tobacco. The Bible doesn't say anything like that. But every time you can laugh about it, then we can all be comfortable with each other. Just don't bring it here. I will have something to say if you're puffing on it in our assembly or outside in our parking lot for other reasons that we'll get to in time. Because of verse 22, it says, Hast thou faith, have it to thyself before God. Keep it to yourself and do it unto the Lord. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. See, some people are raised with 10 feet or 100 feet or 1,000 feet away from tobacco, and they cannot imagine a person doing it to the Lord. But it's no different than a Jew watching a Gentile eat pork to the Lord. It's no different than a Jew watching a Gentile work on the seventh day of the week to the Lord. Do you know what that did to them? It was horrible. And they had a Bible basis. And we who are choking right now on the subject I have introduced don't have a Bible basis. It's just personal preference and family training and habits and tradition of our own, but it's not God's Word. And we want to stick to God's Word. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. No, no, before we leave Romans 14, let's get the second half of that verse. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Happy. What is the word happy doing in this section? God wants His children to be happy. And God wants His churches to be happy. And I will happily get along with everyone in here on all the things that are going to come up 
as long as you will not have any doubtful disputations about them, if you will not be crusading for them or promoting them, if you will not be talking about them or having your children talking about them, if you have liberty in those things, enjoy your liberty in those things. The Lord says that the kingdom of God in this kind of a context is righteousness. The only things that are important are the things that God has defined as right or wrong. Peace, that's a unified church that doesn't do anything to hurt each other, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And here that joy is described as being happy, because happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. When a man is able to get his conscience to the place by education and instruction to where he can enjoy something, he is a happy man. And we want a happy church that enjoys the things that God has given us. See, the Jews deprived themselves of happiness. They could never have a pizza. And I'm not being funny. They could never have a pizza. They deprived themselves of some happiness. And you might say, well, I could be content with a salad three times a day for the rest of my life. You are an exception. Therefore, your opinion, again, doesn't count. Because to have a variety in your menu is a great blessing. And God gave us Gentiles an enormous variety that the Jews did not have. God wasn't planning on feeding people manna forever. He only did it for a period of time. How long would Israel have eaten manna if they had been obedient? Or far less. Just to get into Canaan, where the fields were already planted and the vineyards were already growing and the... And the grapes were already there ready to be pressed. They made it 40 years because of their rebellion. God knows that bread by itself is boring even if it's bread from heaven. He filled that land of Canaan with good things to eat. He didn't say, burn everything that you discover in the land of Canaan. I'll give you manna for the rest of the history of your nation. He said, get into Canaan and enjoy the good things. I've sustained you thus far with bread from heaven. The Lord is so good, and so it says, Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. You know, some of you have televisions. And there are others in this church that think if you have a television, you're bordering on lasciviousness. And you know, if you can find something decent to watch on your television, Lord, I trust that there is such a thing to say this. Then happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. See, I'm going to be all over. I'm going to be all over on these subjects that are going to come up. Because there are people in this church that worry about you people with televisions. But I don't want us to worry. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. And we'll deal with the television because it has some unique characteristics of its own, like several other matters of Christian liberty. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Just to go ahead and tell everyone that is expecting me to make a lot of progress today, you're going to be disappointed. And I'm sorry, but I'm not very sorry. It's just the way that things have worked out this week. It's just the way that the Lord dealt with me yesterday and this subject right now is about the most boring thing that I can possibly think of in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, anything in the Word of God is good. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And I have preached this before, so I'm not denying that I don't believe it has its place. It's just that right now, this is a difficult chore. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, Take heed, lest by any means this liberty... See, that's why it's called liberty. That's why we call this doctrine Christian liberty. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. That's just a very important rule and principle of the whole thing, that we're supposed to take heed, we're supposed to be vigilant, We're supposed to be very discerning, lest by any means, whether it's the word of mouth, whether it's doing it in their presence, whether it's offering it to them, whether it's mentioning it to them, whether it's our children mentioning it to their children, whether it's report that gets out unnecessarily about something that we're doing, things are going to happen always, and that's okay. We just don't want to make any effort to put those things out that your liberty might become a stumbling block to them that are weak. That's the rule. And we want to remember that rule. And so we want to be careful and want to keep our things to ourselves that are in the area of liberty. This is not hypocrisy. This is not hiding sin from the rest of the congregation. That is flat out wickedness in the sight of God. We are talking about things He does not care. And we are strictly, carefully, scrupulously talking about things God doesn't care about. And I will delineate the two before we finish. And and that doesn't mean today. It means before we finish this particular study. Then go to 1 Corinthians 10. There are about 15 passages of Scripture in the New Testament that deal with Christian liberty. Most of them are by the Apostle Paul, if not all of them. And a couple from the Old Testament. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 These are principal verses, and I hope that you love them. If you listened carefully last Sunday, when I got to the last three verses in Romans chapter 15, where the apostle said that his goal had been up to this point, that we, with one mouth and one mind, might glorify God, according to Jesus Christ, that that was the capstone, that was the crown jewel of the doctrine of Christian liberty. Because, see, God has chosen to be worshipped in a corporate setting like this, not by individuals. God's chosen to be worshipped by churches. And so we come together to worship, and for that worship to be acceptable and pleasing to God, it needs to be of like-minded brethren sitting there, all accepting and loving each other, so that with one mind and one mouth, in total agreement, agreeing to disagree on the things that don't count, we glorify God. And here's how Paul would summarize 1 Corinthians 10, where he dealt with Christian liberty as well, in about 15 verses. Verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, remember the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, because that's what he's been talking about, things offered to idol, meat and drink, meat and wine. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you're eating unclean meat, whether you're working on the Day of Atonement, or whether you're enjoying a cigar, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's rule number one. Rule number two is in verse 32, give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, in or out. If it is a matter of offense that you know that you are about to cause someone else to sin, if you know you are about to cause someone else to sin, then you would choose not to do that. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And that 33rd verse is edification. 
So we want to do it to God's glory, not to offend anyone, and to win others who in the early stages of conversion might not understand our liberty. Thus, nothing in our parking lot. And I've seen that, I've seen that before. And I've been there and seen that. And it's disgusting to the senses, no matter what you might believe about Christian liberty. It's just too public because the Bible says, hast thou faith, have it to thyself. So no cigars out there in the parking lot. You know, the, all the men could be standing around out here in front of the church after his service is over with uh, 18-inch stogies. I don't know how long they are. They just look like they're 18 inches to me and it take a long while. It would just be a horrible testimony. We don't want to give an offense unnecessarily when we're standing in front of a church building where everybody knows that we're Baptists and we're predestinarian Baptists and there's this smog going up and three people have called the fire department from Simpsonville to try to come out and put out the brush fire. It's just common sense. And these three verses just summarize it beautifully, and I thank God for them. I love verse 31, all of it to the glory of God. Verse 32, not to offend anyone. Look at the categorization that the apostle gives. It's not just the weak. It's not just the strong that we're worried about. We want to take care of Jews. We want to take care of Gentiles. We want to take care of the church. We even want to take care of unbelievers when we are out there and we are confronted with a point of conscience toward of them. That is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If an unbeliever bids you to a feast and you're disposed to go, you're welcome to go to a feast with unbelievers where he is serving meat that's been offered to an idol. But the Apostle Paul says, Ignorance is bliss in matters of liberty. One of the rules I'm going to teach you, don't ask whether that meat has been offered and sacrificed to an idol. Just chow down with your family. Now, if this host comes along and points to your plate and says, I offered that to Jupiter, I thought you were a Christian. Then you push the plate away. That's what he teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25 through 28. It's very plain in the Bible. I love the Bible. I love this book. He gets that detailed. If you're living in a subdivision and there's a block party, and it is 60 A.D., and you don't know where the meat came from, you just go down there anyway. It's a bunch of pagans milling around, but you can get a free meal for your family. The Lord's just full of common sense. It says it. If an unbeliever bids you to a feast, go to his feast. But now if he comes along and says, I thought I just went through all this, then you push the plate away. I can't do it. If you believe that I'm giving honor to your God right now against my religion, then I won't touch another piece of this. You've, you, know, you don't have to explain it to him. You just push it away and say, I will not eat then if it's giving you offense that I'm not being consistent with my worship of Jehovah. This will come, that'll come, we're going to cover that passage, but that it's right in front of these verses right here that we want to do it to the glory of God. We don't want to give offense and we want to please all men that we can save those that God may give us to save. You know that the conversion of Gentiles caused great angst among the converted Jews because of the differences in their diets and, and their daily and weekly calendars. And so we've learned those things over the past few weeks in six sermons preached to you from Romans 14 and 15. Now we need to take the doctrine that we learned in those two chapters and apply it to issues that face us in the year 2013. Paul's issues were unclean meats. They were Jewish ceremonial days. And they were meat that had, or wine that had been offered to pagan idols. We don't have activities directly relating to those, but we do have our own. And remember, as I've said already, and as I'll say again, the Jews had more Bible basis for some of their scruples than people have for any of the scruples that I'm going to be raising. 
You know, it was scriptural, it was traditional, it was cultural, and it was powerful to side with Daniel against the Gentiles. To be a Jew and to say, I have purposed in my heart that I will not defile myself with meat from Bilo on Main Street in Rome. You know, that was, oh, that has a ring. Doesn't that sound like a godly man? What would Paul say about that man? He's weak. And you know, it's, it's almost hard for us to believe. Here's a, here's a Gentile chowing down on meat that's been offered to Jupiter, the chief deity of the Romans, and here's the Jew that won't do it, and yet he's weak. You know why? Because there's only one God in heaven. And if you even think about the fact that that Jupiter's a God at all, you have a problem. I don't care what Procter & Gamble stamps on their crest boxes. Do you know? I know. I'm sorry. If you need to get up and leave right now, go ahead and do it. But I don't care if there's a stamp of a Zodiac sign on boxes of Crest sold by Procter & Gamble. They make decent toothpaste, and I'm going to use it. I don't care if you can write me a 60-page paper that that Zodiac sign that is on the box of Procter & Gamble is the fact that the chairman of the board of Procter & Gamble worships the devil. You heard on Wednesday night how we give place to the devil, and it's not brushing your teeth with crest from Procter & Gamble where the chairman worships the devil. Do you know what the Bible gives me liberty to do? To go out and transact in any kind of business I want to with people that worship the devil. Where does it say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If 1 Corinthians 10 didn't help you, it's verse 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast. These are people that worship idols. When you worship an idol according to this very same chapter of 1 Corinthians 10, what are you worshiping? Devils. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's, I hate the world because I know that to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. But that doesn't mean I can't go out and use the world. The Lord wants me to go out and use the world as long as I use it and don't abuse it. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In chapters 5, 7, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, we have wonderful advice and wisdom given to us. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, in the middle of this chapter, where a fornicator is being excluded out of the membership of this church, Paul writes this, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. You should not have social contact and play around with and have unnecessary friendships with fornicators. Yet, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. I didn't mean that about the fornicators you have to go to work with or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. There's the devil worshipers. I didn't mean that. You've got to go to work and work around people that worship the devil. For then must ye needs go out of the world, and I'm not teaching you to go out of the world, and since you're going to stay in the world, you're going to have to work around these kind of people. Verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, know not to eat. You may not eat with him, but if an unbeliever bids you to a feast, you may eat with him. And you may company with those unbelievers, but you may not company with a brother that was once a believer with you and is now a sinner. 
see the shunning taught by the New Testament is more severe on church members that have gone back into the world than it is on the worldlings. Of course, you've all been taught that for 30 years. For those of you that have been here for 30 years, this is the Word of God. I hate the world. If any man be... Ye adulterers and adulteresses, if any man be a friend of the world, he is the enemy of God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Matthew 6, 24, James 4, 4, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. But this is the word of God. Do you know why it's called Christian liberty? Do you know why it's called the perfect law of liberty that we have in the New Testament? Because the liberty I'm explaining to you right now. When you go to hear a fundamentalist preach the Bible, you come away knowing that he has never found the law of liberty. That means a law of God that has a lot of freedom in it. We don't have to go out of the world. We don't have to join an Amish society. We don't have to move to North Dakota and join some of those groups that are up there, the Hutterites and others. We don't have to do that. We can live in the world, use the world as long as we don't abuse it. This is the Word of God to us. You know, it was, it was difficult for those Jews watching the Gentiles do things that they had stood against their entire lives, traced back 1,500 years. We have to take this the, the doctrine that we learned from Paul in Romans 14 and 15, the doctrine which he also taught in 1 Corinthians 6, 8, 10, and other places, and apply it to things today. Today's issues range from the use, the moderate use of alcohol, to birth control, to interracial marriages, to homeschooling, to tobacco, to wives working outside jobs, to vaccinations, to activities on Sundays, to tattoos, to alternative medicine, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Because people want these little sacred cows and these little hobby horses, and they want to have these crusades for these little things because they did 15 minutes of reading on the subject by an author that slanted all the information against the particular thing, and I can go find 15 or 20 minutes of information by an author slanting it against your position. It's all ridiculous because God doesn't care. God could have written His Bible in such a way that it's a handbook, 2013, birth control. Here's what I allow and here's what I... He didn't do anything like that. All He did is show us the greatest men in the Bible practice the strictest form of birth control known to man. Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, and Paul. Total abstinence, even from women. Preached on that a few, just a couple months ago in a detailed slide presentation. It makes me so sick. These full quiver types don't have a clue about anything. Why would they even want to be promoting that? Why don't they want to promote the Lord Jesus Christ instead? Has anybody ever left our church because of our position on birth control? Is the Pope a Catholic? This topic should not have to be taught, but due to man's pride, his selfishness, and his odiousness, it's a necessity. His pride because he thinks he's right. His selfishness because he doesn't care what other people's feelings are. And his odiousness of no discretion or graciousness to show mercy to others. You know, we ignore the Ellen Harmons of the Seventh-day Adventists and the Herbert W. Armstrong heretics, for their heresies go far beyond what Paul dealt with in Romans 14 and 15. It's sad that such things have to be preached like this, and why I have to take Romans 14 15, preach it expositorily to you in six sermons, and then use another six sermons to teach you 
what the Bible has to say or not say about a whole host of items that people get all worked up about so that at least I can go on record saying I taught it back in November and December of the year 2013, though I am already on record from the year 2006. But yet, in that seven-year intervening period of time, people have left us over the most ridiculous things. There are subjects of greater value to know God and Jesus Christ, but stopping the mouths of the weak and requiring the strong to show them some deference and mercy for their growth and grace, demand me to preach this. Some think that this subject is nothing more than a straw man, and that I'm not any better than Don Quixote. It's because they're so ignorant of reality and what Christians are like today. They're forgetting about fundamentalists. Fundamentalists really have one bandwagon. And it is these issues that we're dealing with, because that is most important to them. They will separate... They will separate on baptism, but they won't separate over alcohol. They, they demand that you cannot tolerate any drinking, but they will allow you to sprinkle babies. That is the university in our city. If you don't know that, you don't know much about the place. We live right, we live, if we live in the buckle of the Bible belt, we also may live close to the buckle of the fundamentalist belt. And so we live in a community where people think this twisted way about things. This is no straw man. A straw man is when a teacher or a preacher sets up an enemy that doesn't exist and then cuts his head off because it's easy to cut the head off of something that doesn't exist. Don Quixote is a fable of the Spaniards about a man who ended up jousting with windmills. Well, we're not jousting with windmills. We have had church members take stands on these issues and they have forgotten that fact. They haven't experienced church members demanding that those differing from them be rebuked or excluded, which I have. They forget about those that have left us. You know, I've seen members leave our church that knew that we taught and practiced true Christianity and the truth because some of you sent your children to Christian schools because most of you have life insurance. Say, are you kidding me? I wouldn't kid you. How many in this assembly are able to remember? I don't want to get into those details. A family that came to visit us a few years ago that, that loved what they found here, loved what they heard here, and left because we believe in life insurance. Because in, in their little tiny mind, if you believe in life insurance, then you don't trust God. I wonder why David, after the death of Saul and Jonathan, taught the children of Judah how to use the bow and arrow because Saul was killed with an arrow. Amen. I wonder why David did that. Why didn't David trust the Lord? Why did God tell Israel, I've given you all these cities that are already walled up? Why did Nehemiah come back and build a wall? Why did he have a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other? Why didn't he just have two trowels and trust the Lord? But there's a whole sermon on that subject. It's insanity. And where does it come from? People who are on a witch hunt. They don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't love the Scriptures. And if they once did, they get derailed by false teachers who set up this external, superficial kind of religion 
where we're good as long as we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those that do. And they measure their religion that way. It is the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. It is exactly Phariseeism. The Pharisees cared more about the washing of pots and cups and the washing of hands than they did judgment, mercy, and faith. And Jesus told them, these are more important in Matthew 23, 23. Ye have omitted the weightier matters of the law to keep your ticky little rules, and your ticky little rules make the worship of God of none effect. That's an amazing statement. In Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15. Has anyone ever left us or made a fuss in this church that I've had to deal with over playing cards? Birth control, Zumba, women working outside the home, etc., etc. Some Christians, on the other hand, are offended by this topic, for they presume that others should see their viewpoint and follow it. You know, the word liberty and the concept of Christian liberty to them is a pastor that compromises. So I get that response with this kind of a subject. Are you going to make everything liberty? Is the Pope a Baptist? No, I'm not going to make everything a liberty. Everything God's Word has said, we're going to hold it just as it says, and we're going to hate every false way. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. That's how we measure righteousness. And I hate every false way. You know, every way of a man is clean or right in his own eyes, but God weighs the spirits of all men, and there's wonderful verses about that. Self-righteousness is not a rare thing in the earth. It's a very common thing, and it's the natural propensity of all men. Humility and meekness are what is rare. Few pastors preach in detail about Christian liberty for reasons that shouldn't be that difficult. They don't want to address these controversial subjects. Do you know what kind of trouble they're going to get into for even bringing them up in the pulpit? Most churches ignore strife just like they ignore attendance. 60% of every Southern Baptist church this morning is missing. If you want the exact number, it's 63% of the average Southern Baptist church is missing this morning in their primary church service. They don't care about things. Their pastors do not see that though Paul protected weak members, he constantly tried to convert them. Did you notice how Paul was just slipping in every few verses another statement to the effect that they were weak and they ought to be strong and that he was strong and that they were weak and everybody should want to be like the Apostle Paul. Most churches like Joel Osteen's in Houston, for example, do not deal with any topic that does not have universal appeal. If it does not have universal appeal and would step on anyone's toes, bye-bye. He would never say a thing that would offend a single person in his assembly. If you've ever listened to him, you know I'm telling you the truth about the man. The reason I named the man is because he has such a public ministry and the country is calling him the nation's pastor. Most churches or pastors today have little or no authority, so it's better just to leave such topics for ignorance. And it goes on and on. Most churches are so large, they have variations among their members in matters of sin, let alone matters of liberty. They'll let anybody believe anything in their church. They don't hold a one form of doctrine or practice on any subject. Other pastors think that God has called them to witch hunts and internet research about every little tidbit of evil. 
These are the weakest ministries by Paul's definition. Though boasting, they are the most conservative. When I say witch hunt, that means that I'm trying to find out what I can about Procter & Gamble to determine whether I should tell the church if they should use Crest toothpaste or not. That's what I mean by a witch hunt. And there's whole ministries dedicated to it. There's whole organizations out there that are trying to protect the American family by making sure they brush their teeth with baking soda that they bought it. But then Bilo comes out with 666 on those little cards. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. No matter where you go, you end up with the devil. The Lord doesn't care what you brush your teeth with. Paul's doctrine is those who cannot do or use a thing are weak, not those who can or do use that thing. That, that is surprising, isn't it? I mean, it is surprising for me, and I'm trying to communicate that to you. We would think the ones that say, no, my lips have never touched a drop. They're the strong ones. But the Bible says they're the weak ones because they can't allow it. The strong ones can either do it or they don't do it, but the weak ones can only not do it because they can't do it because their conscience is so ignorant it won't allow them to do it in matters that God has allowed them to do it in. When it comes to the moderate use of alcohol, teetotalers are the ones that are weak, not those who use it moderately. Abstinence proves weakness, not strength. Remember, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 2, there were some vegetarians in the church at Rome. And what does Paul say about them? They were the, they were the weak. There's no strength in abstinence. There's no strength in prohibition. There's no strength in temperance movement, especially the one in this country that totally abused and corrupted the word temperance. Temperance doesn't mean abstinence. Temperance means self-discipline and only use the appropriate amount for the purpose God intended something. The temperance movement was ridiculous. But when you let women get in charge of a movement, what do you think you're going to get? And they were the ones in charge of that temperance movement. The little old ladies in town, but because there were a few town drunks, They went overboard to try to get rid of liquor. But those little fat ladies won't get rid of food, even though gluttony is equal to drunkenness in God's opinion. Why didn't they get rid of cherry pie and outlaw sugar in this country? The consumption of sugar has gone from 5 pounds in the year 1900 to about 125 pounds per capita in the United States in 2013. Maybe that is what should have been outlawed instead of... You know, the few years that alcohol was outlawed. You know, instead of condemning wine offered to idols, as Paul had to deal with, these witch hunt types condemn grocery stores and restaurants that serve wine. You don't have to worry when you're in a restaurant and you have a cup of wine with your Italian dinner. There's no Christian there that is sincere that's going to be offended by what you're doing. Because any sincere Christian that thinks drinking wine is wrong isn't going to be in a restaurant that serves wine. Can't you figure that out? Help me. Please figure it out. You know, they'll condemn pagan Roman Catholic holidays along with us, but then they'll go on to condemn birthdays and anniversaries. They'll condemn Secretary's Day. They'll condemn Father's Day. They're just looking for a witch behind some tree. They'll try to get rid of every day. They'll try to get rid of uh, get rid of wedding rings. Where did that ring come from? Once upon a time, there was a ring of smoke that came down over Jupiter's head. And on and on they go. We don't do this for any religious significance. We do this to tell the world we have made a covenant with our God and we've made a covenant with a spouse that we're married. And it just goes on. And I'm not making up a single, I won't make up a single one, I promise you. 
that I haven't had to face and that you can't go online and read about. You know, I appreciate some things about the Netherlands Reformed Church that is primarily in Canada, and we've had a couple of their members with us in years past, and they have a particular doctrine that is called the antithesis. And that means that we are the opposite of the world. I love the word. I love the doctrine. The antithesis of the world. But you know that church, what you have to expect every year? The deacons go to your house every single year and check your house out, and they don't get a search warrant, but they come to make sure you don't have a television. But you know I respect them. And the men sit on one side, and the women sit on another side in their assemblies. I respect them for some things because they're so committed. But, you know, that is taking the box itself that we plug into the wall. There's nothing evil about it. It's just a bunch of electronic gadgetry that makes a picture and that it pulls out of the air. It's how you use it. And it's what Jesus would say about anything. God has made man upright, but he sought out many inventions. Those inventions are not electronic devices. Those inventions are corrupting the law of God. In that particular passage, polygamy instead of monogamy. These kind of people will use money, and I'm giving you information to use when you meet these kind of people, or when they bring something up to you, then you should ask to see their money. And when they pull out their money, you should ask them, why are they using money, and why are they carrying money on their person that has that Satan-inviting picture of a pyramid with the all-seeing eye of Horus over it. These kind will use money with the all-seeing eye of Horus over a pyramid and yet have potlucks on Sunday. What is a potluck? We as Christians don't believe in luck. And why are you calling it Sunday? Should we always refer to it as the first day of the week to save ourselves from giving place to the devil? These types will strain at a gnat like playing cards and swallow a camel. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Right. Oh, that's the camel I want to ride Amen. until the Lord takes me out of here. Amen. I gave you a long list of what caused people to go off on tangents that God doesn't care about and why they would raise divisive issues in a church. And there's a list of about 15 of them. I gave you them before, and I don't need to repeat those again. What is Christian liberty as I conclude this morning's first assembly? What is Christian liberty exactly? What God commands, what God commands, we do it exactly and nothing else. That's why we sing in our assemblies and we don't play because the New Testament says sing. What God condemns, we stay far from it. There is no liberty in this rule. This is Psalm 119, verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. That is the, or a, theme verse of this church. Amen. There's no liberty in this rule. We are bound by love and duty to all that our God requires of us. Any part of private or public life that God has addressed, we obey without question or compromise. We will earnestly contend for this rule of our faith, and we will sacrifice even our lives if we're pushed against it. If our government were to say that something God has commanded us we can no longer do, we would do it anyway. If they were to order us to do something that our God has condemned, we would not do it. 
And we would lay down our lives for this rule of righteousness. Because this is what God has stated. That is the law of righteousness and sin. Christian liberty only deals with those aspects of life that God has not commanded or condemned. There are many things the Bible ignores, for God does not care about what Christians think. He has issued His statements about righteousness. Some issues, even spiritual ones, God does not care about, like the ones in Romans 14. Those, those Jews were eating meat because they knew it was approved in Moses' law. They were observing days because they knew they were approved in Moses' law. And yet Paul comes along and says, the man that doesn't keep the days and the man that goes ahead and eats unclean meat, he's doing it to the Lord and he gives God thanks. And so we do those things as well. In Numbers chapter 30, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the fact that a man, a father, a husband, a man, if he heard his wife vow a vow unto the Lord, could disannul that vow and say, no, you're not going to pay that. I can't afford to have you leave and go on a three-day trek right now to Jerusalem or Shiloh to pay your vow. There's a whole chapter dedicated to it to show that even though the woman's heart was very sincere and the effort was toward the Lord and she wanted to give a free will offering to the Lord, it was a matter of liberty because it wasn't commanded. It was just a free will offering. It wasn't God's will offering. It was free will offering. And if the husband didn't want her to do it, didn't think he could afford to do it, didn't want her to be gone for the, the number of days, could just disannul it. And the Bible simply says she's totally free from her vow. And there's no burden on the, the husband either. And for a daughter that is still at home with her father, if the daughter were to vow a vow unto the Lord, there's 16 verses long about this. Because even though it's to the Lord, it's a matter of liberty because it's not commanded in the Word of God. If it's commanded in the Word of God, we will lay down our lives for it, and I will preach it as intensely as it can be preached. But when it's not in God's Word, I'm going to defend both sides of the aisle for any matter that is practiced in this church. I'm going to defend both sides with 100% of my effort and ability as God would want me to. But the point I'm trying to make is we're dealing with matters of Christian liberty and even if they're toward the Lord, if it's a matter of liberty that He has not commanded, the husband or the father can say, no, you're not going to do that and end it right there because the authority of a husband and the authority of a father is the controlling factor in matters of liberty. If a weak person wants to argue that God didn't know about current issues and so that the Bible's inferior, he can take his folly elsewhere. It helps to know that the weak in the New Testament had more Bible support than any week that we're going to meet in our lives. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may we remember the key point. The Lord Jesus Christ is why he, we were saved. The glory of God is why we were saved. We want to give none offense to the Gentiles, to the Jews, to the church of God. And we want to do anything we can for the edification of others that they might be saved because of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, right now we have to preach on it. We have to deal with it directly. We have to deal with it harshly. But when we put it into practice, we should be gentle and we should receive one another, though weak, though strong. We shouldn't be crusading. We shouldn't be promoting. We should be loving. We should be embracing. We should just be be rejoicing together that God has chosen us to be His children. He has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to lay down His life for us. He's given us the Bible. He's put us in a church where He wants us to be united and happy. May the Lord bless us and, and bring us to that desired end. Amen.